0: Welcome back to the Posh Cockney podcast. You're listening to Liam Norval, and this is Hospitality News brought to you by the industry titans. And today's titan is the King of Camden. His name is Roger Payne and you'll know him for venues like Gilgamesh, Shaka Zulu, Sound in Leicester Square back in the day and of course the new Fest in Camden. Roger is the CEO of Enhanced Hospitality Group and we're going to find out how his career started and the amazing projects him and his team are working on right now. I want to say a big thank you to Mark Fuller for coming on on Tuesday. I really enjoyed that episode and I know the listeners did as well from the feedback we've received. So thanks again, Mark. Let's jump straight into this episode. I hope you all enjoy it. But before we get there, let's listen to our sponsors, Utilitrack. As one of the UK's leading commercial energy consultants, UtilityTrack help businesses spend less on their utilities. There's never been a better time than now to review your costs. So if you'd like free help or advice on saving money on your utilities, email us at inquiries at utilitrack.co.uk or visit our website www.utilitytrack.co.uk. And welcome back to the Posh Cotney podcast. You're listening to Liam Norval, and this is Hospitality News brought to you by the Industry Titans. And today's Titan is Roger Payne, the CEO of the Enhanced Hospitality Group. Roger, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good to see you this morning, Liam. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you're a very busy man right now.
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting time. Uh, I think I'm spending more time
0: at work than I did when I was having to commute, actually. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, there seems to be not enough hours in the day at the moment to, to get everything done. And uh, it's quite a, a strange feeling because you wake up every day and you, you're meant to go to the office, but um, obviously we can't. So how have you adapted in lockdown?
1: Well, uh, first thing we did was trying to find out a way that we could all keep in touch. So we've been using a live streaming office with several rooms, so it's switched on all day. And it's just like being at work, really. People can pop in and out as they wish. And there's a couple of private boardrooms. So still having to sort of like sign into a scheduled meeting, we're just running a live streamed office all day, which our tech people set up. And that's actually been very, made things a lot easier for the team, actually. It's been really good.
0: And what about your home life? Have you been under the wife's feet a lot?
1: No, well, no. I think she probably would like me to have a bit more time under her feet. I've been in the office all day long, and I think she's been feeling that uh, I've been sort of battling in here, and she's been a bit left out. So we've, we've had a few rules imposed, good ones for, for mental welfare. It was easy to get obsessed, really, and be in the office all day long trying to fix everything quickly because that's the kind of entrepreneurial mindset, isn't it? That everything's possible. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, but I've got to say, my, my wife uh, is a lawyer, so I've had the best research assistant ever. So really, we were able to research everything from the loans, insurance, and, and, and Leslie has been really, really important to that. Actually, at home.
0: And have you found that very really beneficial? The the government loan schemes, etc., has that helped you, your businesses?
1: Uh, no, I don't think it has helped a lot of people in hospitality because the backstory behind the lines is not as easy to get as people think, because they've still got the British Bank rules. Um, but we have had some assistance from that. I think the biggest thing for us has been the furlough. But you know, furlough could change, and it could be a bit. It could be to the detriment of the staff today, sadly.
0: Yeah, for sure. That 20% could really hit a lot of companies hard, especially when they won't be trading. So um, it's it's a frightening thought of what actually could happen. I think we've been in a bit of a honeymoon period at the moment, haven't we? And the real shock of uh, the pandemic hasn't really hit us yet.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Um, we've held a number of video conference meetings with our teams this week, uh, which I've, I've taken personally, obviously, because one wants to leave from the front at times like this. And I've got to say that every really understands it. So we've explained the potential of what might happen. And we've then held a number of one-to-one meetings with various you know, leaders within the groups and uh, people now know what might happen. And, uh, yeah, we felt it was incumbent. As soon as we worked out the changes from Rishi Sunak's uh, announcement last Friday, we felt it was responsible of us to treat our workforce like like grown-ups and to share with them what we thought might
0: happen. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, really tough decisions from lots of business leaders around the world, not just in the hospitality sector. Roger, you've had a phenomenal career so far in the hospitality industry, looking at your bio and looking at the venues you've owned and the businesses you've ran. Some of the listeners won't know what they are, so why don't you tell us about your journey? I wanted to be a teacher. My dad, God
1: rest his soul, was a good old policeman in London, and he, he he thought that perhaps teaching was a bit left-wing for his viewpoint. So I didn't go into teaching, but I still felt really people was where I wanted to be. So I went to catering college in Bournemouth and that led to uh, quite a long period of working in Europe until I was about 24 uh, in Switzerland and Germany doing training and I thought that was a great grounding. So I, I've always been in hospitality and, and high-level catering really and I, uh, I came back and uh, wasn't sure what to do and I had two choices. I could go into the sort of city, into the catering in amongst the sort of uh, guild halls and things like that and, and high end or I was offered a position in, uh, in a nightclub business. And I thought, well, as a young man, it would be much more fun to be in the nightclub business. I'm not sure it's the best decision as a young guy to do, but it was fun. And I ended up really in what we would obviously call nighttime economy, late night, uh, quite early on. In the 90s, I, well, 80s and 90s, I managed to have a few pubs of my own because there were something called the beer orders that came in in 1989. Yeah. And it, the breweries had to divest themselves of quite a lot of their tenanted estate. So we ended up, my wife and I, with about 16 pubs in our late 20s, all around South London and Tooley Street along the South Bank. I got taste for that, but I realised pretty quickly once uh, Tim Martin came along uh, in the early 90s with Weatherspoons, that uh, tenancies where you could smell the toilet blocks and the beer was a bit cloudy weren't really in vogue. And I think despite what anybody thinks of Wetherspoons, they, they had an amazing effect on the beer pub trade, But everybody had to smart up their act at that time. So I managed to get a job with a company called Regent Inns in their brand development department because I pretty quickly understood that I didn't really know that stuff. Running 16 tenancies in my 20s wasn't, wasn't as the same as understanding brand mm-hmm. and marketing. So I got a job there and I ended up in brand development uh, with the Jonglers Comedy Clubs, which some people may have heard of and some of us yes. listeners may not have heard of. But Jonglers basically was where all the people that we now know of as stand-up comedians, including Grant Norton, Joe Brand, Paul Merton, all of them cut their teeth. Julian Clary, all of them cut their teeth in Jonglers because that was a brilliant thing for me to do because I learned from some pretty good entrepreneurs how to develop a brand. So that Regent Inns a partnership between Jonglers and Regent Inns was great. And I was really a link between the two. I was employed by Regent. I was working on the Jonglers brand, which was a, a sort of a co, co-business. So that was fantastic fun. And of course, um, comedy was brilliant to be in, because one, it was really good fun to go to work, but what a vibrant thing to do. I realised that the next bit I didn't understand was I didn't really understand enough about accountancy to be a boss, because everything had been done on spreadsheets. In the days before, the fantastic computing that every has now, I had a printer that was about nine feet wide with great big spindles on it, and my spreadsheets literally were spreadsheets like wallpaper, all over the lounge floor on my Commodore 64 computer. I mean, I'm really showing my age, but this is all the stuff before the fantastic technology we have now. And uh, I realized I didn't know enough. So I got a job with Deloitte in the restructuring department in hospitality in the 1990s recession. I did three years with Deloitte, who were then called Touche Ross. And again, that was phenomenal. So I've now had my brand experience with jonglers and everything, and then into this fantastic restructuring business in hospitality, which really taught me everything. And... Really, it was like going back to school, but I was like 30, 31 years old, and it was just brilliant. And that's when I made my first big step uh, in 1999. A very well-known business had been built by the owners of Planet Hollywood, and it was called Sound Republic. And Sound Republic is in Leicester Square, or was in Leicester Square, on the site that is now the M&M's uh, shop and the W Hotel. Right. And uh, Sound Republic had two massive nightclubs in there. It housed a television studio where we made the Pepsi chart show for Channel 5. It had three restaurants on the ground floor and it was going for 47 grand. So I bought it. Wow. With 12 million pounds of debt. But I definitely never let money get in the way of, of development. Off we went restructuring that. We shaved 40,000 pounds a week off the cost within nine weeks. I brought some of my old friends and colleagues from Jonglers and other places to help us. And we were there for a very, very happy six years. Very successful business. Of the time, we had some great, great partnerships with people like the Car Wash, which was a very famous brand at the time. And Trevor Nelson, who's on Radio 2 at the moment, he was our club DJ. And at that time, he was the number one Radio 1 DJ. So Trevor would come pitch up on a Friday. And we worked also with Kiss FM and everybody like that. So it was a really brilliant time there in Leicester Square. And when that closed for them to develop the hotel, which is there now, the W, we moved next door for a period of time. Into the old number one Leicester Square site, which is home of club like Penthouse, you may have heard of in the past. Yeah, yeah. And we put a business there called Sound Two T Double O. We met lifelong uh, promoter friends there since then, Gary and his brother Glenn, who we've worked with over the years. And of course, having number one promoters like them really helps us with that
0: club. So we did very well there as well. Gary was actually on the podcast last week. Uh, I heard his podcast. I thought it was brilliant, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, speaking very highly about you. So then, so Sound too. So you obviously was a big presence in Leicester Square at the time. Well, we were the small boys. You had the
1: Erbium, then no, later known as Novus, they're owning everything all over London. And there was just Roger and his band of merry men with the the Stormlight Club in the south part of Leicester Square, and Sound up in the north part. And I was also uh, the chairman of the Leicester Square Association, which was a pressure group really looking after residents and business people and anybody with uh, uh, an interest in that part of London. And we worked heavily or sort of closely with the council and the police on things like anti-terrorism and all sorts of things like that. I, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. But it was when I was at Sound when I realised that there was an unpolished gem in London that no one had really seen, and that was Camden Town. Every new Camden is a market, and apart from really uh, the Camden Palais, really there wasn't a lot going on in Camden. I had known Camden from 1989, when, as part of my work with Fuchs uh, with, with Ross at Deloitte, I helped with the restructuring of a business called The uh, World's End. The World's End had been also owned by Tim Martin and his partner, Andrew Mahler, and they had had a bit of a problem there, overdeveloped the business. Or, in fact, Tim had left, but um, Andrew was there. And I realised what a fantastically vibrant place it was from my time restructuring The World's End. And we then eventually sold that to Glendola. So I managed to get a site in Camden in the middle of the market uh, where we put a business called The Cuban. The Cuban became a very famous salsa hotspot in in, in London and was a very valuable business for us. And uh, I got to know the owner up there quite well. He had this mad plan for a business uh, to do uh, a sushi restaurant around uh, an ancient Babylon god called Gilgamesh. I wasn't quite sure how a Babylonian god worked with sushi, but... It, did, it was a great business. We helped him open that, although they ran it themselves. Yeah. I later took it over in 2014, again, for the same landlord, because he decided to bring it back in-house. So we were well, to a closer relationship, so I ran that. But after that the Cuban success up there, I got involved with the landlord in another mad plan to build an, Af- an African state restaurant in a 27,000-square-foot basement that had been designed to be a large shop. It had been designed to be the home of a top shop in Camden. Right. So we have this ashy space, with escalators, all breeze blocks, uh, completely in the same landlord called Bebo, who I hold close to my heart still, although he's not there anymore. He's sold on. And Bebo wanted me to bring sound from Leicester Square to that space. And I said to him, I didn't really think that a pure nightclub business would work there. So I said, I've got this idea of this um, Zulu idea, depict the life of the Zulu nation in murals and carvings. And and, serve state. and because he was completely insane like I was, I am, um, we both decided to embark on this project of building a 27,000-foot state restaurant with a one-and-a-half-metre doorway and an escalator. Well, since until COVID, we were still doing 1,000 cupboards for dinner on a Saturday. It wasn't such a bad idea, after all.
0: I've been to Gilgamesh and uh, Zulu many times, and they're both fantastic places and great experiences for a customer and, uh, and a guest. So you must be very proud of those businesses. Uh, yeah, very proud. I think all the
1: stuff we've done in Camden, along with our, our sound work with the TV and everything, were really, really brilliant things to do. And what's so important to me is that so many of my original team members who came on that journey in 1990, young people who were starting their careers, who trusted us, and they could have gone to big companies. We My wife and I starting on our own, and some of them are still with us. You know, Some of our senior directors have been on the journey for 22 years, and uh, some of our senior managers are still with us from that period. So For for a relatively small company, we've we've got 14 places now, but we haven't always had that. For a relatively smaller company, but privately owned, we're we're very proud of our team that we've built up and and those that stay with us for the whole journey. So that's what really is really important.
0: You've created almost a family for many years. Well, we say we like
1: a family restaurant business and and bar business, uh, sort of uh, like you might find uh, a Greek family or an Italian family. We're a bit like that, but we're a bit disparate. But we're equally passionate and argumentative, and I think that's the uh, <laughs> basis of a good business. A bit of a blowout and sorts it all out in the boardroom. It's very good for health, both of way the cobwebs, and you certainly know where you stand. And my boys and girls have no hesitation in telling me what they think, which I like and encourage.
0: So tell me about the reconstruction of Camden, then. How
1: did Fest come about? Okay, well, the landlord changed in 2014. We got on with them very well from day one. In fact, we still have a very good relationship up there. Uh, we've got off of the space, so we uh, opened a cabaret business there uh, with live music and party venue. A lovely terrace. We thought we'd call it Fest because it told everybody you, you could get it's a bit like uh, Roncil, you know, you know what it says on the tin. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a party, and that's what it is. So that's how Fest came about. And then last year, very talented, 2018, so just over a year ago, sort of, we took over Dingwall's, um which is the quite well-known live music venue. It's been there since 1975. Dave Bowie and, uh, and Elton John would go there actually in the 70s after gigs because they liked to hang out it was where the real music was made Yeah, and the interesting thing about Dingwalls was it was the site of the second Jonglers and I'd been the manager there in the 90s so before I under my regent Inns Banner director manager development manager of the Jonglers had been involved with it so Um, When we first took Dingles over, I brought through the old live music people back because it had lost its shine. And live music had had moved on with people like Live Nation, Kilimanjaro, really controlling it in a good way and developing live music. And Dingwalls had lost its luster a bit. And and so there was no major bands going there anymore. And over the last 12 months, up until the COVID crisis, we'd really, really built built up a, a fantastic new brand in the old brand, if you see what I mean. Uh, this is was, and we even were due to have Kaiser Chiefs and the Muse there, although there was the a because of COVID. So we managed to put Dingwalls right back on the map with our kind of Can and specialist knowledge because Camden is our home. As I said, I've been there since the very late 80s, technically, with the World's End, and uh, I can't, it's my spiritual home. Our head office is in a warehouse there. I don't feel right if I haven't been to and I'm missing it actually. I've been 10 weeks here, and I, I can't wait to get back even for a few days a week because. I need, the, I need that kind of water and that feeling of Camden and that energy. Yeah, Camden's a, Camden's a very special place, Liam, there, actually. Lots of places come and go and build up, and there's Dalston and there's Shoreditch, and all these are fantastic places to be, and they have great energy of their own. But Camden seems to me, as the water runs down the canal, it seems to wash itself through and always stay relevant to somebody. And I think it is a spiritual home of music with the uh, Roundhouse and obviously the Amy Winehouse uh, Heritage there now, additionally. So many famous people live there. There, you'll see Jonathan Ross walking around, you go around really the corner, so you see him walking on on the path. It's still a very relevant area, and, I, and that's why I've liked it. And I really have based my career between Leicester and Camden. Home.
0: Is there any plans for another site in Camden post COVID 19?
1: Well, you know, I would never say never. There's also going to be opportunity from this and uh, I think I think there will be other things. I think for us as a, as a business, we closed Gilgamesh after 12 years and it became the Camden House uh, event space and it's a very beautiful space. I think the most likely thing we will be trying to do once this is all over is we want to re-establish Gilgamesh as a brand in London.
0: So enhanced hospitality, how long has that been going for?
1: Enhanced, it, we used to be called Camden Dining and to uh, give people as an idea around our Dining with the Gilgamesh and Chaka and the Cuban, et cetera, et cetera. And we started to diversify out of London. And I did actually try to register the name Camden Dining uh, with the uh, Intellectual Property Rights Office. And they said to me, Well, you can't have a business called Camden Dining because it's a bit too generic. So we realised that it wasn't going to work for us on two fronts. One, it's too Camden for when we wanted to expand. So we came up with the name Enhanced Hospitality. Part of our restructuring division there where we help businesses if they get back on their feet if they're in trouble, and we also have a centralised office. What Enhance basically does, is it gives a, an economy of scale to businesses to buy into a head office. So we've got PR department there, we've got central telesales function and uh, events functions, people making phone calls into businesses tool century dealt with very very cost effective because obviously it means we don't have to have hosts and people in front of the house in every business i used to use the example you can ring a restaurant at 9 a.m you might get the cleaner and of course you don't know whether you made the booking or not yeah. so we've had a centralized function since 2002 actually on reservations so that's all that together and then other people can buy into that so we do do that service for other people that we don't advertise on our website where we will offer part or all of their accountancy function planning PR marketing. We have in-house graphic designers, digital management team for development of websites uh, and social media for us and a variety of the clients. And in fact, we were working with a bar group uh, quite well known in the city called Jamie's or uh, We Are Bar, and they've been around since the '80s. And I, I know their I knew their owner very well, uh, Simon Varlagan. He's also part of the owner of the very famous Groucher Club in Soho. I'm his opposite uh, competition on the other side of the road with Black's Club. I helped him a bit about a year ago and ended up now with 50% of the ownership of that business. And uh, pre-COVID, we turned the whole thing around completely, very profitable, hived off a few sites we didn't need and knew where we were going with it. And in fact, that was a really good, good story that we have our story with us there and i can't wait really to get back to work because we have so many things which we're going the right way i'm, I'm just really really enthusiastic i know it's going to be a difficult few months or maybe a year but we'll keep our feet on the ground and we're going to definitely get through this
0: what's the biggest lessons you've learned so far during this period right, i
1: think the first lesson is that i could i don't have to be a workaholic and i can work from home a bit because i've got this online streaming office so i think for me personally i've learned that i don't have to run down the m4 in terms of uh, people I already knew this, but it's reinforced how dedicated every member of our team is, whether they're a kitchen porter or a chef or a manager, because we have had nothing but support, messages of support, understanding, and it's been very heartening. But I wasn't particularly surprised, but it was nice to have it reinforced because, as you, I think you picked up, we're a bit like a family business. I do know all my staff, and they all know us. So I think that's been very important. So it's reminded me of the people part of the business, how important it is. Although I hadn't actually forgotten it, but it's, it's really reinforced it. I think it's also made us realise perhaps that we can all be a bit fat and uh, I think leaner working has been a buzzword around the younger bosses for a while, but you know, for me, I have to learn that we can be a bit leaner. This might mean that we restructure some of our departments a bit, but I've already got people who are saying to me, well, you know, Roger, if there's redundancy, I'd rather take it because... I don't want to do the community more. People themselves reassessing their own lives. Yeah. yeah. As your managers might say with a couple of people with young families who, uh, and babies who are saying, you know, I'm not sure that my partner and I want us to travel to London right now. So I think that we will be able to achieve that leaner business without actually any compulsory redundancies because I think there's enough people who have replaced their own life and what they want to achieve. So I think that will
0: be an easier task that might be for other competitor businesses. You mentioned about Blacks just briefly uh, a minute ago Um, you've got a real crossover in the hospitality industry so you've got fest you've got Shakazuli, you've got your event spaces and, and everything else what part are you most nervous about after covid19 is it the nightlife side is-
1: yeah i think i mean you hit the nail on the head i mean we don't know what the new guidelines are going to say i know that again waving a flag for uk hospitality and they've done a lot of work for guidelines to help us as have our own uh, in-house risk-assessed people, you know, to health and safety. But it is pretty clear that if we've got a place like Dingwall's, which uh, survives on gigs with, you know, the likes of Kaiser Chiefs, we've got a problem. And certainly all the American bands that we would be booking are not looking to come back till the new year. So we have got a number of people who think they can hold a event within the social bubble, for for want of better words. But I think you know, dancing, I think dancing and vertical drinking I think are probably going to be the last to open. Places like Shaka Zulu will probably quite easily be able to do a social distancing table around sort of one metre back-to-back, two metre side-by-side kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And what we'll probably do there is put stage in and do stage entertainment. So we'll still keep the Las Vegas elements to where we can. But we probably won't run the late-night club. Bars, I think, are going to be very much about a personal self-risk assessment for what I read. The people coming will make the decision. Be around hygiene and sanitation. Uh, it seems to me that the health guidelines, if you are more about touch and hand to mouth than around breathing, I think bar stalls will be a thing of the past for a while around the bar. But I think using the workers' code of 20 minutes together, I think staff can move around as long as they are mindful of each other. So I think pubs will be a bit easier if they've got outside space initially. But I think you're right. And things like places like Dingles and Fest, where they have entertainment, large brunches, things like that, with close, I think might be a bit more difficult
0: let's find out a bit more about the man behind the brand so um what makes you tick what, what's the, what's your secret to running so many successful businesses
1: i don't know why but i've got a dynamo energy i just i get up in the morning uh, i you know i'm approaching my 60th birthday which i know is not as trendy as your other wonderful people you've had on but i've been going a bit of a bit of a time i have my bike ride this morning six o'clock fantastic along the canal through bath and um, but i've a tremendous successful life i'm very enthusiastic. I think I'm about 22 years old still. I probably act like it a bit. So I think it's keeping it young at heart. I think working with a team of um, constantly changing younger people who are full of energy and ideas, it, it, it means that all of my ideas tend to stay fresh as well. Yeah. So it's about work. I mean, it's all about work. I've got a family, which I love bit, so We've got plenty of family time. But yeah, for me, it's really, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an energetic person in an energetic business.
0: You touched on your cycling. Do you do you have any sort of wacky routine that you do on a daily basis? Are you are you up at sort of four o'clock in the morning reading the paper? No, it's six
1: o'clock, it? but it's, a, it's just I have to say, it's a touring bike, not a racing bike, because I want to bend over like that anymore. But it's a nice fast one, and I've got two routes. I only go down to Bristol on the on the old railway bed, which is lovely along the canal. I I just weave through the city. I've got a nice gentle twelve mile uh, up and down hills, which is quite, which is you know, reasonably challenging fruit bath and I just go and I call it all around the city roads I think that's probably my favourite actually just riding around 6 o'clock
0: in the morning fruit bath it's lovely what's the best advice that you would offer sort of your uh, somebody new say they wanted to open a venue that they were thinking pre-COVID-19 I've got a, a site in mind but obviously this pandemic's hit and it's a bit unsure a bit uneasy about their the potential project what advice would you give to them to, to open something right now
1: well I think the thing is it's really about a frame of mind so like I I would give you a slightly different example. i will answer the question slightly like this: People who say, oh, "I've got this great idea, but it's not the right time," will never open a business. They will never open it, and they might as well get used to it because they don't have the mindset. I would say that if your idea is sound and you've come up with that special extras piece, which would be called a, a USP at someone's marketing meeting or a differential, but let's not the use of boring language. But if you've got that point of difference that you know will be will give you the edge, then I'm afraid you should open it. And there's always a way to do it. There's always someone to help you, and there's always a way to fight or find a way or get a landlord's out here. And I think post COVID, things which might have been a problem before regarding rent deposits and you know massive covenant strength, I think if you've got a great idea, you know how to present it. I think you'll find willing, listening landlords to let you have space. So my my only advice is, if you if in your heart you know it's right, I bet you it is right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's it's it's that big leap, isn't it? It's uh, taking that big leap in in business and. Uh obviously uh, try and get the experience first before you just jump into it. it's it's not an easy industry we've both, i've been in it for 15 16 years and some people do think that you've either got the idea in the cash or one one of each and uh, some people think they can just do it but it's a tough game isn't it well i'd also
1: say and we do we, we do a lot of this i'm not it's not a pitch but it's if you're a new starter or, or have less experience of running your own business but you maybe have the hospitality experience or the nightclub experience or whatever it is your beverage whatever it is you're interested in doing yeah, find yourself a mentor. There's lots of people around. I, I do it. I've got Simon Vardigan does it as well for other people. You know, doing business with people who have had a bit of experience doesn't hurt, and maybe they're also a way to help you find the funding or, or, or the avenues to go down. So I wouldn't be afraid to share your idea, and that's one of the things we do at enhance So we're always working with people. In fact, Blacks is an example of that. We've got the very well known young chef Luke Thomas, who's 27 now, but he was the UK's youngest chef at 18 in Soho. And you know, he, he, he's a collaborative partner of mine at Blacks. He's 27. I love working with him. His energy, his food, his, you know, decision making, his millennial behavior, what drives me completely bloody mad. But you know, we, you know, that's just a boardroom thing. But it's also interesting to see a different way of, of, of life, and it's fantastic. So, yeah, we work with people like that. And uh, you know, he, he's a good example of that. Just get on with it and find someone if you're not sure of something like your financial acumen, then find someone to sit on your board. It won't cost you any money. Most people do it for free if i
0: like you. You're funny. You mentioned Luke. He's on the show in a couple of weeks as well. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. two questions. What's your biggest success today, and what's your biggest failure?
1: Okay, this is a very easy one. I'll tell the biggest failure. So I'll tell you the biggest success first because it's nicer. I think it's difficult between sounds with the TV and all the excitement of bright lights and Shakäzulu, but I think because of the way Shakäzulu the mad visits to Africa to meet the king of the Zulu's a you know, sort of game park with a giraffe nibbling in my ear while I'm having lunch with him to make sure that I've got it right and I won't offend yeah. 35 million people was probably the best success and the most fun and I think the fact that 10 years on it was still attracting a thousand people for dinner on a Saturday and Tionna for lunch I think is, is testament to its success yeah. so I'd have to say Shaka Zulu for the best success and most fun then second sound for its starry lights and TV. And I think the biggest failure was being persuaded to buy a business called The Rib Shack, which was in receivership. I bought it as a pre-pack. The friend of mine who was doing a practice, I said, oh, best thing you've ever done. And I lost 1.3 million quid of my own money, and that was it. So that's the worst thing we have ever done and it was a bit painful.
0: Well, wow. I know people don't like to talk about the the failures. Oh, you know, I might as well tell it because it's how it is. Do you think sometimes that um, you you can't be successful in business unless you've had a big failure in life, so, so you know that you can learn from that?
1: I think that I know it's it's, a, it's such an old cliche, isn't it? It's called a hard knock. But to be honest, and without adversity in business, without learning and, and having problems, you know, you don't grow. You know, and it's not always easy. It's not always easy with partners and relationships and people having decisions. But you know, consensus is always the best way you do learn your mistakes and, and i'm learning every day every single day in lockdown we as a group are learning something else we didn't know about our people or about how to handle a problem about how to get through but it's all about grit and determination and that is the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody who makes it and people who, who who perhaps don't and that is because you've got to believe in yourself
0: do you still have the same burning passion for this industry as you did sort of 20 years ago
1: oh yeah it's a complete, uh, completely addictive, this business. It's all about people, fun, and the odd beer after work, which obviously helps. It, it is such tremendous fun, and I've had such a diverse career from fine dining to entertainment, met all so many different people, just interesting people, and not because of their fame, because sometimes people who are famous might not be interesting, but so many of them are. Yeah, I've still got a burning passion. I've got a few things left to do. I think my, some of my senior team would like to fire me off to some executive <laughs> but I can say on the podcast a bit early yet. Yeah. But uh, I, still, I, still, I still think there's plenty to do. I think post-COVID, and it's all settled down, there'll be tons of opportunity. So we're ready to take that.
0: That, that leads on to my next question. So what is next for you guys? What, what do you think when this is all over? Is it expansion or is it keeping hold of what you've got? I think it's tin hat and in the NRA uh,
1: shelter for a while and see where we are and don't take any risks. For me, I'm going to look at what I call 24 carat opportunities I'm not waste our time. Hopefully soon to be announced, but I can't say today. We are working on a massive project with uh, new partners in South London, which would be very, very exciting. So we're still working on a new project, even in COVID, and it will be enormous, uh, 29,000 square feet, uh, multi-use sign near the South Bank. So I'm hoping that uh, we're about to announce that. I can't announce it today, but just to give you a taste but we are still working
0: i've always wondered what the freeman of the city of london actually gets you
1: well i believe yeah. i can actually uh drive some uh, sheep over london bridge but that's <laughs> all built up now there's not much for them to eat but it's, it's an interesting thing to have and uh, i was quite young when i got it i was in i was in my uh, in my 20s i've made a friend in the city of london so it doesn't give you any real benefits but it uh, gives you a few interesting people to talk to and uh, As I've said to you, I think sometimes I've enjoyed learning from mentors in my life, and I've taken a lot from people who've had a bit more experience than me, whatever the level I'm at, and it's always someone with more experience than me. Even where I am now, I've been in hospitality since uh, 1979, I hate to tell you, but actually 75 if you count the uh, cleaning up events at the age of 15. So I've been in coaching for an awful long time. I still learn every day. If I meet new people who I find interesting, regardless of how old they are, it's irrelevant to me. If they've got something interesting or an interesting experience or they've done something, I always want to hear how they've done it. So
0: there's I can learn from that. It's great to hear that you, uh, you and the team are still uh, moving fast, moving forward. And when this is all over, I think we've only met a couple of times. I remember I met you at the London Borough Club Awards two or three years ago. I think you guys picked up an award. and uh, well, uh, I think we all was a little bit misbehaving, uh, but that there's nothing wrong with that. I think we both won that night, so that's good. But once this is all over, it'd be great to catch up face-to-face because uh, y- you're certainly a very interesting guy and, and your wealth of knowledge is, is something I'd love to tap into. If people want to get hold of you, Roger, are, y- are you hiring at all? I think people want to get in touch with us about anything, look at the Enhanced Hospitality
1: website. Deadly easy to get in touch. It's just uh, roger at enhancedhospitality.co.uk. I always answer emails. I'm interested to hear what people are doing and uh, if people have got any ideas get in touch please do and to say thank you very much for asking me along today i've really enjoyed it and i really look forward to meeting you perhaps we'll go down to blacks and have a beer with luke when Fantastic. we're allowed
0: sounds great roger enjoy the rest of your day enjoy the sun and uh fingers crossed that everything is rosy that your business for the rest of the year and uh, and for the future thanks Liam. thanks very much Roger, that was absolutely amazing. Thank you very much for coming on. It was a pleasure speaking to you and it was a pleasure having you on the show as well. Let's move on to Tuesday's show where we have John James, who's the managing director of Soho Estates. You may have heard his name mentioned on the Mark Fuller show. I'm so excited to bring you this episode as John is one of the most well-respected businessmen in London and all of his tenants speak so highly of him. I'm sure you're all going to enjoy it. So make sure you tune in on Tuesday. Guys, if you want to get hold of me after the show, please drop me an email at liam.norval at poshcockney.co.uk. If you want to come on the show or, of course, book me for public speaking, you can do it through my email also. And don't forget you can reach me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at norval, and, of course, at Poshcockney. Guys, have a great weekend and I'll catch you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.